Isaiah 49 says that we are like polished arrows from the womb. <laughs> that he has a purpose for you. He will accomplish his purposes in your lives. And so it's a privilege this morning to get to read and teach from God's word. And it's especially a privilege to get to address these seven. God has blessed us with very talented, very gifted students, children. These students have excelled in their studies. They've excelled in athletics. They have performed in the arts. They are very impressive young people. And we bring them forward today to charge them with the gospel of Jesus and to charge them with words that are not, their, that are not our own. This morning we have the privilege of charging this group with a passage of scripture because these words are far more powerful than our own. Please stand for a reading from God's word beginning in Matthew 13 verse 10. We're going to begin in verse 10. Disciples came to Jesus and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they do have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. Now we're moving to verse 44. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought that field again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and he bought it. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you have not let us stay in the darkness about who you are, but you have spoken. You even tell us what you are like. You are like a treasure hidden in a field. Lord, would you open our eyes this morning to see the treasure of your son, Jesus, to see his surpassing worth and to see our very lives as a small price to surrender compared to the surpassing worth of knowing your son, Christ Jesus. Lord, would you be glorified in this place? Would you be treasured by these people? Would you be followed by these young people? Captivate their hearts and compel them by your love to live their entire lives for the great treasure of being known by you, our God. To the glory of your holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, elementary, middle, and high school students, I want to tell you guys something cool. Graduates, I want to tell you something cool. It happened in a wild time called the Iron Age. Suddenly, the ancient Near East was filled with the largest armies that the world had ever seen. And every springtime, kings from Greece, Egypt, Persia, Assyria would drum up tribal bands and go off to pillage the neighboring civilizations. It was like the game Fortnite was actually happening. There was that much violence in the world. But after you conquer a vast territory, you need to build a large government to keep it running. And thus began the greatest argument that this world has ever known. 
how do we train our government employees? And the ancient answer was something called wisdom literature. Kings would write down everything that was needed to know so that those who would follow them would know how to serve in their courts and how to lead well. And these books were used to teach children and young adults who would then be expected to lead one day themselves. And today, in our historical archives, we still have wisdom literature that has survived from the Egyptians, the Israelites, and the Chaldeans. My personal favorite book of wisdom literature is one called Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written by one of the most successful and powerful men to ever live. And it's about his pursuit to find something big enough to live for. He tries to find purpose, meaning, life in his career. And even though he goes on to be wildly successful, he discovers that career is simply not big enough to live for. He tries finding life in sex. Solomon married hundreds of women and had hundreds more concubines. And yet he discovers that sex isn't even big enough to live for. He tries living for pleasure. He says ultimately that's too meaningless. He tries living for knowledge, but it gets redundant. He tries living for reputation only to find out that everyone is going to forget about you one day. It's not big enough to live for. He tries living for himself only to learn that ourselves are simply not big enough to live for. We need something far larger than ourselves, far greater. And yet, I love reading the book of Ecclesiastes. That book takes the pressure off, right? It it takes the pressure off. If I can't find my life in my career, that's one less thing to worry about. It takes the pressure off of my pursuit of pleasure, my pursuit of knowledge or prestige. If those things aren't big enough to live for, why bang your head against the wall? When a person is on the brink of their own career and their own professional training, even while we were eating breakfast with these graduates this morning, this question came up, what am I going to live for? What's my aim? Is there something big enough to live for? And here in Matthew 13, in a private meeting, private gathering with some of Jesus' closest friends, he lets them in on a secret of the kingdom of heaven. And the secret is, yes, there is something big enough to live for. Only Jesus. And in light of this secret, your church would like to charge you And the scriptures would like to charge us all with three commands, three charges from Matthew chapter 13. The first is this. See the kingdom. Look at verse 10. It says the disciples, which means learners, came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? I mean, that's that's what learners do, right? They come and they ask questions. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. But not to them. And whoever has, whoever knows beautiful things about God will be given more. They'll have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have, the thoughts they think they know about God will be taken from them. This is why I speak in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. Have you ever wondered why Jesus the most able communicator that the world has ever known, chose to speak in ways that some people would understand and other people would not understand? The disciples wanted the same thing. Matthew 13 is a series of conversations where Jesus speaks to the masses and then the disciples come and follow up and say, what are you talking about? I mean, that, 
there are multiple times just in this chapter, Jesus speaks to the masses and then he goes off probably to his own house in Capernaum. The disciples show up on their own initiative and say, help us understand what we just heard taught publicly. I think that's why small groups exist. I think that's why we have Sunday school class. I think that's why we have small groups on Sunday nights. And every single parable in this chapter is on the topic of the kingdom of heaven. And kingdom here means reign. It means rule or authority. So these are parables that explain there are going to be some people who gladly accept that Jesus is ruling in their lives. And there are going to be some people who don't get it. Who don't see that Jesus is ruling in their lives. Who don't want Jesus to rule in their lives. And while this message of Jesus' reign, his rule is going abroad, there are going to be some who totally buy in. And there are going to be some who are totally blind to how valuable that is. And this shouldn't surprise us. Do you remember in John chapter 3, Nicodemus shows up to Jesus at night and he says, Jesus, you are doing some powerful signs. Surely you know something. And Jesus interrupts him. He doesn't want to hear his, his, his accolades. He doesn't want to hear about his accomplishments. Jesus says, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to see the kingdom of God. Jesus goes on to say that the wind of God's spirit has to blow onto your heart and onto your eyes and through your ears so that you might see and hear and understand what good news it is that Jesus rules over everything. The reality is, if you want to have something big enough to live for, you must see the kingdom of God. And here's the most terrifying news in all the world. Because of our sin... We cannot see the kingdom of God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. We are without hope in the world if we do not see the kingdom of God. And yet, if the Lord opens your eyes to see it, to be born again, you can. And this is not something that you can do. Ephesians 2 says it is the gift of God so that no man could boast. If you don't see the kingdom of God, if you don't see the worth of Jesus, something has to happen to your eyes and to your ears and you're not able to do it. If you don't see the kingdom of God, you must plead with God. You must beg of God. God, would you do something in my life to give me a heart for you so that I have something big enough to live for? So that I see you for what you really are. Worthy. Nathan Cole was a farmer in Middletown, Connecticut. And in 1740, he got his horse and he got his wife and he went off to hear the the great preacher George Whitfield. And when he came home after hearing Whitfield, he wrote in his journal, my hearing him preach gave me a heart wound. (laughs) He said, "I, I heard that I had fallen so far short of who Jesus is that I had a heart wound. By God's blessing, my old foundation was broken up and I saw that my righteousness would not save me. I couldn't do enough. And then I was convinced that God had to choose me and give me sight. And so I went right to arguing with God about this. If you don't have eyes to see the kingdom, you can argue with God about that. You can fight with God about that. You can plead with God about that. He is big enough to handle it and he is big enough to live for. Seek him. Fight to see him. You must see the kingdom. Second, you must treasure the king. 
In Matthew 13, 36, Jesus finishes speaking up to a massive crowd. And the disciples are now gathering to ask him their follow-up questions. And verse 36 says, Jesus went to the house. Now remember, he's speaking in Capernaum. And after he finishes speaking, if he goes to the house, whose house is it? Probably his own house. And in this private gathering, Jesus speaks very simply and very directly. He's searching for words to explain to his closest friends what the kingdom of God is like. He's trying to make it as clear as he possibly can. And he goes, here's what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a man who finds treasure hidden in a field, verse 44. And in his joy, he sells everything that he has and he buys the field. In other words, knowing God is like finding a treasure of such immeasurable value that suddenly you're tempted to give up everything else that you have if it would simply gain you that one thing. Knowing Christ is like finding a treasure of such immeasurable value that it suddenly recalibrates what value even means to you. And this illustration wouldn't have seemed that implausible to the disciples. This wouldn't have sounded hypothetical. I mean, I imagine when you've walked through Magnolia Cemetery, you haven't, you know, found a treasure. This sounds implausible to our culture. But here it wasn't. Because of the frequent wars and the, the constant governmental shifts of the ancient Near East, people would sometimes bury all of their belongings and take off hauling when a foreign army was rolling through. So if you ever found treasure hidden in a field, it was very likely that the people who buried that treasure were not going to live long enough to come back and get it. This was your treasure. And as I began to think and meditate on this passage, and I, and I hope you ask questions trying to understand what a passage means, you, you might wonder, why doesn't the guy pick up the treasure, you moron? Like, pick up the treasure and just carry it off. You don't have to buy the field, right? Doesn't that make sense? If you think that this man could pick up the treasure and take off with it, you're thinking too small about the treasure. In 1994... About 55 miles from Kabul, Afghanistan, one million pieces of ancient silver were discovered buried in a cave. On top of those one million pieces of ancient silver with Greek and Persian inscriptions on them were dozens of gold bars. The kind of treasure Jesus is talking about is not the kind of treasure that you pick up and move. This is the kind of treasure that you move everything to and build your life on. And so you might ask, well, wouldn't that change your entire life? Wouldn't you have to give up everything? Wouldn't you have to stop living the life that you are living and start living a brand new life? The answer is yes, but, but treasure, right? But treasure. You get treasure. It's worth it. Jesus is saying, if you'd rather keep the life that you have, it's unlikely you realize what kind of treasure we're talking about. This is not the kind of treasure that you're able to move. This is the kind of treasure that moves you, often at great sacrifice. People think, or people often say, and, and this is not true, that when you follow Jesus, he's going to take away all of your problems. That's not true. Not in this world. When you follow Jesus... It often is the case that he adds more problems to your plate without taking the other ones. You just get new ones. And yet you have Jesus. And so if he's saying he's the kind of treasure worth sacrificing for, we have to ask ourselves questions like these regularly. 
What kind of sacrifice might God be calling me to in my pursuit of him? Is God calling you to the hard work of developing a habit of studying God's word every day so that you might see him? Is God calling you to the time that it takes to be deeply involved in a Christian community? Is God calling you to the self-denial that it takes to actually fight your sin? Whatever cost God is calling you to, and whatever costs God might put on your plates in the years to come, I promise you, He is always worth it. He is always worth it. Every cost, He is always worth it. Every cost of following Jesus only finds you more experience and more intimacy with Jesus. There is never going to be a person who gets to the end of their lives having lived for Jesus and said, man, I just sacrificed too much for him. You're not going to out-sacrifice Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. He gives you his perfect record so that you don't have to worry about proving yourself in this world. He takes your wicked record so you don't have to worry about the judgment that would be coming towards you. He's worthy of it. Treasure the king. Finally, seek King Jesus. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value sells everything that he has and he buys it. So verse 44, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven sometimes is like something you stumble on. You don't know that you're going to see and have something big enough to live for. And yet at other times and for others of us, it's going to be something that you seek. And yet regardless of whether you seek it or you simply stumble upon it, the reaction is the exact same. When you see it, you're willing to sell everything that you have that you might have that one thing. In the ancient world, there are really only two places that you could get pearls. They're the Indian Ocean and the Persian Gulf. And so when Jesus is talking about searching for pearls, he's talking about a man that would have to cover great distances over several weeks to get into places where you could even find these things. In either event, the reaction is the exact same. Once he sees it, there's something big enough to live for. He's willing to sell everything that he has that he might have that one thing. Jesus is saying he is a king worth seeking and sacrificing for. The most transformative piece of advice, young people, graduates, eyes open. The, uh, the most transformative piece of advice I was ever given was given to me when I was your age. And it was given to me by someone your age. I was about 20, and he was about 20. And he said, if you really want to know God, you should go ahead and plan on reading about five chapters of the Bible every day. And in God's providence, that was exactly when I needed to hear that. I had just come to Christ. I was just beginning to follow him. And so when Ryan told me that you need to read about five chapters of the Bible, I just figured that's what Christians did. And why wouldn't Christians do that if he's a treasure worth seeking? And so I did. And over the last 11 years, as God has brought me to a place where I've been reading the Bible consistently, it's like being a person in search of and constantly stumbling upon treasures big enough to live for. The treasure of the scripture, the treasure of knowing God and the treasure of the gospel given freely. Guys, here's some good news. Has made adulthood far more satisfying than I ever thought it was going to be. One of my closest friends in the world is named Matt. And Matt grew up treasuring sports. That was the kingdom he lived for. 
And he won multiple state titles in Ohio and wrestling, and he got recruited to a top ten program, and he came to Virginia Tech to wrestle. And when he got there, he was disappointed. Wrestling failed to live up to the expectations that he had on it. He wasn't as successful as he hoped he would be. It wasn't as exciting as he hoped it would be. It wasn't as meaningful as he hoped it would be. And so Matt realized he needed something bigger. And Matt introduced himself to me. Just like I hope you guys will introduce yourself to pastors and college ministers and mentors when you leave this place. And Matt, a young man, told me, I want to grow spiritually. You know how rarely that happens? (laughs) A young man said, would you help me grow spiritually? It only happens when the Spirit of God blows. It's not a work you do. It's a work that's in you and you just need it. Matt had a Catholic background, and he hadn't spent much time in the Bible, and so we began to meet in a dining hall on campus, and we would study through the book of Romans. If he was cutting weight, we would eat very little. If he wasn't, we would eat a whole lot. And one day, I said, as we were getting our food, hey, let's go listen to a sermon that I just heard. It was great. And so we got our pasta, and we got in my car, and we watched soccer practice, and we listened to a sermon by a guy named J.D. Greer, a Baptist preacher. And Greer explained that in Christ... There was nothing Matt could do to make God love him more. And Greer explained that in Christ, there was nothing Matt had done that could take away God's love. And as Matt looks back seven years later, he says, you know, that's when I think I understood the gospel. And I could tell. You know how I could tell? Because two weeks after that day, we were reading the book of Romans in that same dining hall. And Matt said, whoa, that reminds me of what I read in the Psalms last night. Though many college students still believed that career or girlfriend or boyfriend or the right physique was where life was going to be found, Matt had actually found something big enough to live for. Let's remind one another of the joy to be found in Christ by reading together the verse of the week, Psalm 1611, a great one to memorize. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Let us pray. Lord, please give us eyes to see what you are really like. You are a treasure. You are creator. You are our savior. And you are totally worthy of being called our Lord. Please bless these graduates and give them spiritual eyes and ears and understanding that their entire lives might declare how treasurable you really are. In Jesus' name, amen.